You're listening to Grassroots, www.innovationstudios.com. It is another week and here we are on the 26th of February. And uh, there have been a couple of announcements this week that uh, things are beginning to um, work themselves out with regards to the lockdown. It's going to be a slow, slow process, but we'll see what happens. Um, And all we can do is uh, hope that things will eventually uh, go back to some sort of normality. But it's all a bit mad. It's all a bit crazy. Um, But one thing is, is it's very serious and we've all got to do the right thing and to look after everybody else. It's another week. It's another grassroots q and I've got a few questions for from you this week. Um, I'm not going to be messing about too much. I just um, wanted to say one small thing, and that was I wanted to say um, to the family of Pat Webster, who was a huge fan of High and Dry, the duo that I'm in, um, who sadly uh, uh, died at the end of um, January. Um, her funeral was um, on Monday. Um, I just wanted to say to her family and her friends that um, we loved Pat very much and she was a great um, fan of, of our show and she was at every show we ever played at Fang and Pitsy. And, um, of course, we send our condolences and we send our love, Ken and myself, um, to uh, everybody um, who was involved and everybody who knew Pat. And uh, next time we play there, and hopefully very soon, that will be, we will uh, raise a glass in her memory and play a couple of songs for us. So I just wanted to start on that note. Um, now, our first question actually brings, it's quite a, a relevant question, and it comes from Lawrence in West Mersey. And Lawrence says, Hi, Marcus. Given the current situation and your obvious knowledge of grassroots music and performance, I wondered what your honest assessment was of when we'll be able to perform live again. Um, Hello, Lawrence. Yeah, I've played the game for a lot of years. So I've dealt with a lot of promoters, a lot of um, social clubs, working men's clubs and pubs and venues and festivals. And, oh, you name it, I've dealt with them, you know, Butlins, the holiday parks and stuff. Um, If I'm honest with you, Lawrence, I think we're in trouble, mate. Um... At the moment, the way things are, are heading, um, because a lot of these clubs, as as we know, they they've lost a lot of money, and I feel like the entertainment industry, the the singers, particularly at grassroots level, um, will be the last thing that goes back. I think will be the very last thing. I think once the pubs are open, um, and the clubs are open, and these places are able to have um, people in. I don't know that they'll have the budget to have entertainment. I think it'll be such a novelty for people to get out and to sit, just sit in a pub and socialise in a pub or a working men's club um, or a social club. You know, it'd be such a novelty for people that I feel that, um, you know, that will be enough for the first sort of few months. Um, That with a bit of, bit of bingo and a bit of uh, a bit of a disco and some background music. But most importantly, um, Lawrence, you have to remember the amount of money that these places have lost. Now, the one thing I'll always be honest about, and of course there are exceptions, and of course there are some really great clubs and places that we've played, but in general, when you're dealing with a social club, like everybody else, like like everyone, they're always going to try and get the best entertainment they can with the budget that they're given. 
And very rarely are they going to say, well, we'll pay you a bit more. They'll only ever say, well, this is all we pay and, you know, tough luck if you want it or you don't. What I worry about is that by the time all of this blows over and they decide to have entertainment again, they won't have the budget to pay the people such as myself who have been in this game for a lot of years and, and therefore can command a fairly good fee for a Saturday night because people are going to... You know, I'm tried and tested over many years and, and a lot of the venues I pay, I, I can earn some decent money on a Friday or a Saturday night. But I fear that they won't have the budget. And I fear that the, the, the thing about this this pandemic is that it's nobody's fault. And so therefore the knock-on is, look, we haven't got the budget, it's nobody's fault. Um, there's nobody been here, it's nobody's fault, we can't do this. It's nobody's fault, it's the way the world turns. And I feel like... You know, the, the, the social clubs are going to look and, and try and reel a little bit back. And, and you know what? Of course they are. Why, why wouldn't they? Um, but I fear that the likes of myself and probably yourself, Lawrence, um, will be probably doing the same job on two thirds of the money we were getting. So therefore, it's somebody like me. I've got to look at it and say, OK, well, I've got the studio. I, I do OK. I teach and I, I work online and I do some sessions and people record with me and songwriting and I, I'm not too bad. But the real bread and butter money for me has always been the performing. It's always been being live. And um, when, you, when you're dealing with a social club or a pub or anywhere that has a budget or anywhere that's obviously going to recoup an amount of money that they've lost, I mean, you can't imagine what these places have lost in terms of membership fees, in terms of you know, uh, beer and wine and everything, you know, bar intake. You can't imagine what they've what they've lost. So I feel like when it does open, they're going to say, well, the capacity is normally 250, but we can only have 125 in because, you know, because of the, if we want to open, then we have to make sure that people are at a safe distance away. So if they're only allowed to have 125 people in instead of 250, well, 125 people at a tenner, maybe over the bar, is is your best twelve and a half grand, a, a twelve and a half hundred pounds, I should say. So they're going to lose that on a Saturday by by having to have that that half half um, capacity. And I feel like the thing with with, with the with the theatres in in the West End will be the same because they're going to have to put these shows on and have maybe one one empty seat between you know, everybody. And the amount of money it's going to cost to put these productions on, I can't see how they can run the show with only half capacity unless they pay the um, actors and actresses and the performers less than they're going to get or less than they would usually get. And in which case, we're then doing the same job for two-thirds, if we're lucky, of the money that we were on. So... I think if I was, you know, 20, 20 years younger and was on the way up, I'd probably be looking at this and thinking there is a golden opportunity for me here to put some tracks together and to go out and make a name for myself and earn myself maybe 80 quid or 100 pound on a Saturday night. But the likes of myself who earn, you know, double that and, uh, and more and have done for years... Um, we're now looking at it and thinking, well, we, we're going to have to go right back um, to earning, you know, it, it's simple mathematics, Lawrence. It's more hours for the same money. 
And all of a sudden, if you're suddenly, you know, you're out on a on a Saturday night and you work out the hours you're out against what you've made, if, you, if you've made sort of 25, 30 pounds an hour, you've done well. But I think, I feel now, entertainers, once they work it all out, are going to earn maybe around 10 or 11 pounds an hour. And if that's the case, then you might as well do another job that uh, where you finish at six o'clock and you have Saturday nights off. Um, so there's a lot of decisions for a lot of people. Um, and my honest assessment is the way things look at the moment, I think um, the very last thing that will go back will be entertainment. But there, I mean, there is the counter argument, which is that, um, you know, people want to be entertained. So therefore, the clubs and things like that that have entertainment, you know, uh, people who've always gone to the clubs uh, to be entertained will still want entertainment. But I think just being out will be enough, just the novelty of being out. And again, it comes back to that fact, it's not our fault. So if the club then say, we're still going to open, but we can only have half capacity... They're not going to have a problem getting that half capacity. And if they've got 250 people every Saturday night trying to fill 125 seats, they're all, if, if Fred and Marjorie decide they're not coming to that club anymore, then there's another Gavin and Stacey round the corner who will come in and fill those seats and will just socialise and have a beer and play cards and play bingo and you know, have the background music. And, um, and also the entertainment can't be on. It's not our fault. But because of the pandemic, we lost a lot of money. We've got to try and get some back. Now, they they won't um, do that in terms of the staff because they still have to run things. The restaurants will still need their staff. We'll still have to pay their staff. We still have to pay their chef. We still have to pay their waitresses. We still have to pay their bar staff. So they've still got to do that in order to run that efficient system. So any money that they can save on top of that, Lawrence, is to not have any entertainment. Or to have entertainment that is cheap. And that's the end of the story. It doesn't matter whether they're that good or not, but they've got to be cheap. So I think um, I always felt I was one of the last, or my generation was one of the last generations that could look at this and say, we're making a living out of this. I don't know how much more of a living I'm going to make out of it. But... um, All I can say is I hope that very soon things can go back to normal. And if we have a lean few months, but then by November into Christmas, we're able to get back to some sort of normality, then, you know, we'll see what happens. I think when a vaccine comes into it, and that's the other thing as well. See, the vaccine, you're going to have this generation of people over 70, 75, who we all kind of took a bullet for, if you like, and all said, well, we won't bother socialising. Um, because we want to look after you. Now, where we stand at the moment is all of those people over 75 have had the vaccination and they're now sitting at home because we haven't had ours yet and they'll want to go out. So they they could build up resentment and say, well, hang on a minute, we can't do anything now because of the younger generation. Isn't isn't that a strange uh, juxtaposition that we we all said, no, we're going to look after grandma, we're going to look after mum, we're going to you know, make sure that we stay in and keep everybody safe. Well, now they're covered by the vaccine. They want to go out, but they've got to keep us safe. They've got to sit sit indoors. So it's a strange one. But um, I think we're in trouble at the moment, Lawrence. But um, these things have a funny way of working themselves out. And I'm hoping that as time goes on, um, it will work itself out and and we will be okay. But um, fingers crossed, we, we can't ever know for sure. Thanks for your question, mate.
uh, Debbie in Corringham. Corringham says, hi, Marcus, are there any old music books or new, or new music books that would be helpful for an intermediate guitar player? Um, yeah, I mean, there are so many that going back a bit, um, we used to have the Tuna Day books, we used to have a Tuna Day and things like that. And there are lots of books that you can get, I'm sure, that are play all of these songs with four chords or whatever. Um, I don't know if anybody remembers, send me an email if you remember, but you used to have these books that were 101 hits for buskers. And uh, they, they were, I mean, these, this is like 35, 40 years ago. But 101 hits for buskers. And you'd flick through and there was Scarborough Fair and all the, all, all the obvious uh, old classics on there. And um, they were really, really good. In, in modern times, I suppose just any of the, any of the tab books or any of the collections, um, they, they, they brought out the Play Guitar With series. Um, and of, obviously, of course, the guitar magazines every single month will bring out a CD that you can play along with. And, um, you know, there, I'm sure there's plenty of stuff on, online um, that you can download in PDF format or anything like that. But if it comes to just, you know, um, somebody who just wants to play some songs... Um, for themselves then probably go go old school have a look at some of the 101 hits for buskers songs i mean it depends i mean if you want to play modern stuff you need to go on google and you need to download the stuff but you you did you did specify old books as well so any of the ones that um are because my brother i mean my brother taught himself how to play guitar with um a book called the beatles complete and it was just all the beatles songs with the guitar chords and the words and then he was able to go through. So if you like a particular band, I'm sure they do something similar. Um, but they used to do a thing as well that was called The Little Book Of, The Little Book Of Rock, The Little Book Of um, Oasis, The Little Book Of The Beatles, The Little Book Of Meatloaf. And it was probably, um, you know, 10 of their songs, just just simplified and, you, and, and uh, made easy. Um, but uh, yeah, if it's just a case of playing any of some random songs or or just playing guitar for yourself... The old school 101 hits for buskers books or, um, you know, play just into intermediate guitar. I'm sure there's plenty on online. Um, the ones I used to use were 101 hits for buskers and, and um, or the Beatles complete or, you know, play guitar with series. They were the ones. But um, intermediate. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming you're following um, sort of top line music or just following the chords. So you can keep it fairly simple. Uh, I have a gentleman um, who's learning mandolin with me, um, Peter and Thundersley, and he, I sent him a PDF the other week of some old um, Cornish uh, mandolin pieces. But I just sent it to him and said, have a look at this and see what you think. And, and uh, when, I, when I spoke to him um, earlier um, on, uh, where are we? When I spoke to him on Tuesday, um, he was really happy with these new songs that he was finding, these, these new little um tunes that that he was finding his sight reads as well um and he was really happy with it and so and I stumbled across that sometimes you can stumble across things um just by typing in intermediate guitar simple guitar book um but yeah that that's what I'd recommend uh, Debbie just look for the busker books or look for some things online but they're, they're not that difficult to to find <laughs> Ever wanted to play guitar? 
10 minute tutorials now on YouTube. Beginner's guitar. Marcus takes you through the early stages, tuning, basic chords, and strum patterns to start you on your journey. Further information go to www.innovationstudios.com. Raymond in Leon C. Hi, Marcus. I was recently interested by your Q&A podcast when you mentioned your onstage character and how you become the performer. I just wondered, what is the main difference between you and your onstage character? And would you be friends with him? <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, Raymond. Of all the questions I've been asked, this is one of the best ones. Um, yeah, the, I think... The, the difference between my onstage character and my offstage character is the way that he stands and the way that he um, just has a, tries to have at least a confidence about him. But it's not an overconfidence. It's just a self-assured kind of thing. You probably have to ask other people about it because I don't like, I'm not always that great at talking about it. But the truth is, um, it's it's very much me with the volume turned up, but it's not turned up to the max because that's just annoying. That's, you know, you're not, you're not at Wembley, mate. You're at Batley Working Men's Club on a Saturday night. I mean, who do you think you are? So... What you do is you turn up the volume on yourself and he, because uh, I have different faces. I have, you know, what I like to call different faces for different cases. I have a face that I have when I'm teaching. That's the understanding, motivational, kind of uh, rational, um, you know, knowledgeable um, kind of guy who who just wants to get the best out of you. I have a face when I'm a dad that I'm, you know, and I have a face when, when I'm a, when I'm a partner and I have a face when, for when I'm a son, you have the, all of these different uh, parts that you play because you have different people in your life and they, and each of those people need different things from you. So what people need from me on a Saturday night is confidence. I think they need to be felt, need to feel at ease that they're in good hands. Um, and yeah, there's been times over the years, many years ago when that confidence would spill over into arrogance and once it spills over into arrogance then you can easily undo in five minutes the work that you've or the hard work that you've put in over the last two hours um i don't think it happened to me lots of times but it did happen to me that you just lose control of the um character and he just gets a little bit too carried away and for that reason, um, Raymond, I wouldn't be friends with him. I wouldn't be friends with him because I would be, sometimes I'd want to cringe at the things that he's said or the things that he's done. Um, not that he was ever deliberately rude or anything like that, but he he doesn't have any fear. Now, I like being him. I like playing that part. And And to be fair, as I've got older... And grown into myself, I suppose, and with the life experience that I've got, the difference between the on-stage man and the off-stage man is not that much. Um, I toned down a lot of the stuff, but back in the wall-to-wall -wall days, 
Um, sometimes if you get a particularly difficult crowd, he would have to turn up the amps on himself in order to cry, kind of get back a little bit of control because there were people maybe shouting out things or saying things and the only thing you can do is to deal with a situation the best way you can. Now, when you're on stage and you're performing, nothing on that stage should move unless you move it. You should be in control of that stage and in control of that space. Now, when that space is threatened, it's how you react to it that comes with experience. Because the younger version of myself or my character wasn't that great at handling things like that. He would say, you know, this is my stage, what you're doing, or, you know, get your feet off of my stage, or are you in show business, you know, well, get off my stage then. He was like that. I think these days I've grown into that a little bit more. There are still times when you feel threatened, but you have to remember that if you're playing somewhere and people are right in your face and you're trying to keep control and perform, it's a very, very big adrenaline rush and it's not a it's not a nice one it's quite a frightening one when you're performing somewhere I, I performed somewhere um towards the end of 2019 and although it was a great show and although it was good um there was a point in the evening where I had a group of lads in front of me and one of them had a beer and he was hovering it like two inches above my head and I'm thinking, because there was no room for anybody to move, and I had a head mic on, which is something I started doing, because the mic stand in these places when it gets crowded would just get knocked over or smashed into your face. So I would have, um, I started using my, my headset, which again, is not, you know, it, it was the ISIS tribute. It's not very Noel Gallagher. Noel Gallagher wouldn't use a headset, but then Noel Gallagher plays on a stage, and I don't. I play in a corner of a pub. And... Um, what happened was the group of lads were dancing around or singing uh, the Don't Look Back in Anger chorus or something. And this beer was getting closer and closer to my head. And I thought, in a minute, it's going to go all over me and all over my jacket, all over my my uh, head, all over my gear, all over my guitar, all over my pedals, all over my microphone. And of course, like so many venues, so many places, nobody did anything. Nobody, you know, stopped it. They just allowed it to happen. But in that moment, I had to really bite my tongue because you you want to try and get control back. But being rude, especially to a group of lads, is just not the way. So I've learned, or I like to think that I've learned, a little bit more about how to do it. But it was not easy. We had to wait until the song was finished. And then I think we made some sort of comment about, you know, you need to be careful here. You need to just step back a little bit. Just give yourself a bit of room. Um, people as you know people could get hurt down here or there's or I think I think my brother who was quite quite sharp on it said something like we've we've been you know somebody's dropped some drink down here so we've got to be really careful that nobody gets electrocuted so stand back a bit we're okay because we're 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 away from it but just keep an eye on it and I think people felt a little bit like well I'm out for a good time but I don't want to get an electric shock so they backed off a little bit but but you know within the, the next two songs they were back at the front again um, but, uh, I would, I would probably get on well with my onstage character now, but 25 years ago when I, when, when Walter Wall were at their peak, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have got on with him. He was arrogant and he was in your face. Um, and he was sure of himself. Um, and it was me probably turning up the amp on myself 
too much. Um, which I don't regret because it was who uh, it was who I am. And um, as a matter of fact, my other half came to a show. It would have been two or three years ago, and uh, and I was entertaining, and, it, and and something something had happened, or there was a power cut, or something had happened. And when I went back on again, um, the atmosphere had completely changed. And in order to get it back, I had to kind of go old school and become the arrogant frontman of Wall to Wall. And it worked because people were enjoying the fact that I was just out there and, and uh, you know, getting people into it and showing off and playing playing solos with beer glasses and stuff like that. But the whole evening was ruined. And, and to go back on and just stand there and play... I couldn't do that. I wanted to, I needed to do a bit more. But Cheryl said to me at the end, when we were packing away, she said to me, that's the first time I've ever seen him. And I don't like him. And and I said, no, I don't like him that either. But he can do the job when I can't. And that's always been the important thing, that he's able to switch it on and do the job. He frightened the life out of me for a, for a long time. And you kind of talk, you're talking about the same person, but you're not. It's a pair of shoes that you put on. It's a, a makeup you put on. It's a person that you become in order to get the job done, um, Raymond. And that um, people don't always like him. People don't always, um, you know, look forward to talking to him. But they sure as hell respect him, I suppose. Um, whereas I think... When I'm off stage, people like to have a chat. I like to feel that people like to be in my company. And I I look forward to your subscriptions and the people that follow the podcast and any emails that I get. I get some good feedback from some of you lovely people out there. So you obviously must feel that I have, you know, that I'm that I'm quite, uh, that I'm a good communicator. I like to think I'm a good communicator, but he wasn't a great communicator. He was a front man. Um, and I've learned that with life experience, and there's nothing that can substitute for experience, that uh, I would probably be all right with him now. But 20 years ago, mate, I couldn't have been in his company for more than about five seconds. Grassroots Music UK, in association with Innovation Studios, presents the ultimate one-day workshop for songwriters. Advice and analysis on songwriting techniques and methods, how songs are created, structured, recorded and produced. Tuition, analysis and guidance on how to make a great sounding album on a bedroom budget, using recording software and digital audio workstation. Learn how effects and plugins work and the most effective way to use them. Mixing and mastering to CD, WAV and MP3. Adding album artwork, tags and songwriter info. Where to have your mastered CD copied in bulk for selling at your shows. How to upload your music to iTunes and digital media. Online radio stations and how to submit your music for airplay. Advice on venues, promotions, showcases and open mic nights in the area. To book a place and be added to the waiting list, please call 01702 836 649 or email innovationstudiosuk at gmail.com. Uh, Mick in Potter's Bar. Hi, Marcus. We are forming a tribute band and we're looking to book some shows when we're able to, of course, in brackets. What's the best option? Is it a price or is it a door split? Um, hi, Mick in Potter's Bar. Yeah, 
Um, now the 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 situation with the two um, differences are that a price, obviously, you know what you're getting. A door split, you don't know what you're getting until you get to the venue and until until the end of the night when tickets are sold. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, the thing with a price is if somebody agrees a price with you, then the incentive is on them or the pressure is then on them to promote the show and to make sure that they get enough people through the door to cover the price and more so that they make a profit. Um, so you agree a price before you go on and uh, Oasis have played many, many shows uh, I should point out it's Oasis with a Z. And we have been mentioned on Jonathan Ross as well with Liam. You can look it up. Um, but I should I should mention that um, we, we've played many, many venues over the years and we've done both things. We've taken some venues on a price and some things on a door split. Um, a price, obviously, they can... If, if you then turn up on the night and they've agreed, let's say, £1,500... And then on the night you get there and they've packed it out, and they end up turning over about six thousand quid, um, and making three and a half grand for themselves. Then, then it's fair to say that in some circumstances you look at it and you say, "Oh, we missed out there," but you didn't, of course, because you got your price. So therefore, you don't care really what happens because you're on a guaranteed price before you get there. When you're on a door split, the pressure is on you to sell the tickets and if the promoter doesn't promote it then he doesn't have to pay out at the end of the night he only has to pay out for the amount of people that come in now we we had more than one occasion but the one that sticks in my mind was we agreed a door split at a venue in Blackpool right on the uh, golden mile and it was just, but it was just off of the main Golden Mile. And I can't remember the name of it. But we agreed to, to do a door split. And we spoke to each other and, and the, the promoter had said all the right things. We've got a capacity of 300. You know, we'll sell the tickets and, and we can, we, we can um, you know, sell the tickets at a reasonable price. And we should be okay. So we, we kind of said, well, look, it's a long way. But... Um, you know, we'll see what happens now. We learned a valuable lesson um, in that particular situation, Mick. And that was that when a promoter isn't paying the band and doesn't have to make any money except to open his venue that night, he has nothing to lose. When we drove all the way to Blackpool, by the way, in snow, when we arrived and sound checked, by the time we went on, there were five people in there. And... We then realised that there had been no promotion. There hadn't been any flyers. There hadn't been any adverts in the paper. There hadn't been any radio adverts or radio promotion. All there was was on the door, on the on a board, was just the name Oasis Tribute Tonight. That's basically what it said. So the owner of that, that venue said, let's just write that out. We can take a chance here. But if if he's paying the band then he has to make the money and you can guarantee that if he had to pay us 1500 quid or two grand he would have put the time in my advice to you mick is wherever possible some venues don't allow it 
but wherever possible, try and agree a price, even if it's maybe just slightly below what you'd like to have. At least you're guaranteed it. If you um, agree on a door split, I can promise you, you'll probably lose more of them than you win. You'll probably get more gigs. You'll get more shows. You'll get more, you know, your, your gig list will look a hell of a lot more impressive because you'll have all of these gigs. But the amount of money that you make from it at the end of the year depends on whether or not the promoter promotes you, not on whether he pays you, but whether he promotes you because you're running all the risks. So my advice is try and get a price. If you can't get a price, then, you know, it's a case of you're going to need to um, promote it yourselves or to do as much promotion as you can. There are exceptions. We, we have played many venues where we're on a door split and the, the venue has put the work in because obviously the more people they get through the door, the more money they make. But I think you get more circumstances where somebody says, oh, we'll give you a try and then doesn't bother promoting it than you do if they, they, they agree a price with you. Um, plus, as well, you know, without wishing to accuse anybody or, or point the finger at anybody, when you're on a door split, unless you've got a clicker or unless you've got somebody stood in that audience making a note of everybody that comes in, you don't know if the bouncer's letting a, you know, letting a couple of girls in because he fancies them and doesn't take the money off of them. So you don't know how many at the end of the night have actually come through the door. You don't know actually how many have paid. And uh, so there are, you know, I mean, to be fair, if I was a bouncer and there was a group of girls coming in and I wasn't paying the band, I'd let them in. So it's one of those um, situations. But Mick, I think some of the venues that you research, some of the legendary venues that we've played, we've never had any problems. We play venues such as the Witchwood in um, Ashton under Lyme, Manchester Way. Fabulous venue, fabulous promoter, door split, brilliant, always do okay, always make money, it's always well promoted, it's always well advertised, brilliant. The Cavern in Liverpool, of course, absolutely brilliant, always a great team of promotion, the very fact that it's that venue anyway brings people in and we have sold it out a few times and because we've sold it out, we've come back from Liverpool with a with a tidy sum of money each, bearing in mind we're a five-piece so, um, you know, if you were a three-piece and you sold it out, you'd do really, really well. So we've done okay with um, with door splits at certain venues. But I think, Mick, you have to take a chance sometimes and you have to just think, okay, look, it's worth a go. We, we, we've... The, the, the tribute band have come unstuck in Derbyshire. We've come unstuck in Blackpool. We came unstuck in Leicester where we took a door split. You've got to look at the petrol you're doing. You've got to look at the hours you're out. We came unstuck. Um, there was a venue we did play in Liverpool, but it wasn't the Cavern. Um, but we made the mistake of doing it over the Grand National weekend. And of course, nobody wanted to come out. The Grand National was in Aintree. And therefore, everybody that was everybody was in was at Aintree that day or was following that. So always when you're when you're looking at these venues as well, we also came unstuck in Bristol one year and Bristol had always been a brilliant, brilliant venue. It was a place called The Tunnels and we loved it. Um, and uh, Gareth Chilcott owned it. He was the, the ex-England rugby player and we, we had some brilliant nights there. And then we came unstuck, um, I think the time before last that we played it. And we couldn't work out. There was nobody there. And then when we got 
when we got back home and we were kind of, um, what would you say, just sort of healing our wounds, if you like, licking our wounds, we realised that the universities didn't go back until the following week. And most of the, the audience that we had there was predominantly, you know, people in their early 20s or, or late teens that would come out and see the band. So we realised that through no real fault of our own, that that's when the universities went back. The following week, I'm sure it was it was rammed in there. But when we played it, all of the people that usually go to the university in Bristol, um, and we came unstuck as well in a, a, a university in Birmingham or a venue called the Shelter Marquee in Birmingham where we booked some shows and we booked it during half term. And, of course, all the students that, that usually live in that area and go to the, to see bands were all at home in various parts of the UK. So... You have to have a sharp eye on things, Mick. You have to keep an eye on things like half term and where the venue is. But that comes with experience, mate. If you're just put, looking to put a tribute band together and you're looking to get some work and just promote yourselves and it's a bit of fun for you early on. When I say fun, it doesn't mean you don't take it seriously. It doesn't mean that you don't do the job you know, the best you can. But if it's an opportunity to do it and build it up, you're going to serve an apprenticeship. And serving an apprenticeship is not that much fun it doesn't make you lots of money but if you get a following then you've got every chance but i think if you any of these places you've got to be good enough to command the price so some of these places you might you might take a door split the first time and then when you go back you might be able to say no we want a guaranteed price you've seen what we can do you know but if it's a bit of fun you and the lads getting together and playing some songs from your heroes go and do it mate and just just have fun doing it and don't worry too much about it but my advice, try and take a price if you can, um, because you're guaranteed that money. Um, and yeah, it might be busy. You might look around and think, OK, you know, we, we, we came unstuck here. Next time we'll take a door split. But you know what? You might play that place and you might go out of there with your 1500 quid and they've made a fortune. But the next time you play it, you might say, we want a piece of that. We'll take a door split. And the next time, because they're on a door split, they think... Well, let them run the risks. We won't bother promoting it. When you get there, you come out of there with less money than you made the first time. That's happened. So it swings aroundabouts, Mick. But what it is most of all is a brilliant, brilliant way to earn a few quid, if you can. And that goes for everybody. And I'm sorry if now and again I've, felt I've seemed a little bit negative this week. I'm, I'm not negative. I am positive when it comes to music. Music still has a huge, huge part to play in everyone's all of our lives and um the people such as myself and the people such as you know jason who's just starting out and got some backing tracks on a saturday night i think we'll be looking for work and the venues that are still there and maybe the ones that have known us for a while will hopefully still have us but i feel like things are changing and um i'm trying to change with them um with that in mind before i love you and leave you I'm making a list. I have a list of people I'm going to be running some more grassroots interviews. And I have some really, really cool ones coming up that I'm really looking forward to. Um, I've got, uh, no, there's no particular audio of preference. I'm going to be recording them as soon as I'm able to record them. I may do it on Zoom. I might, I might do it in person once I'm able to. But it looks like it's going to be a couple of months away. But I have a list of people that I've been, some of them I've been trying to get for years and there are some real golden nuggets in there. Um, and I'm really looking forward to 
to doing them. The, the, I, I can tell you that the first one I'm going to do is going to be a gentleman called Steve Catamole. And Steve is better known as Riga Steve from uh, the legendary Riga Music Bar. Now, if there, anybody else out there knows any any more about grassroots music, I'll be surprised. Um, Steve and also Dave, who used to work there, Dave Kitteridge as well. I, I don't think I'll, I'll get an interview with Dave, but he does... He is associated with the Touchline and does a brilliant uh, job there. So he's an expert on grassroots music. But um, Steve has very kindly agreed to come in and do an interview with me and talk about um, his career, the people he's worked with, the sound, you know, the, the sound he used. The no, I don't think anybody is is, is a, a bigger authority on grassroots music than Riga Steve. Also, a gentleman called Glenn Sissons, who I've been trying to get for years. I've been trying to get Glenn for the last few years. I've spoken to him a few times. And he's a, an absolute legend across Basildon and Essex and um, at, at grassroots level. And, and, and he's probably a lot more well-known than people uh, would believe. Um, I think he's, you know, I've, I'm really looking forward to that one. He was one of the first people I saw live. And um, I always remember, even all these years later, I still remember he, he just had a great look about him. He was a really solid, solid performer, really great, great bass player. And uh, I'm really looking forward to meeting him. I've got uh, an interview with um, Ryan Sandham. Ryan's the drummer from Fire Sky, the brilliant, brilliant Fire Sky. And they, they're, they, I'm sure, like everybody else, have been locked away, writing some material, hoping to get some opportunities to perform. I'm doing an interview with Raymond, or Ray Begg. Who, Ray was the bass player. Um, of the jam jam with two m's for many many years played a lot of the same venues that we did that are no longer there unfortunately the army and navy the twist in in colchester and ray's a great guy and i've not spoken to him for a while and we toured with a jam many many times so i'm looking forward to having an interview with with ray so ray's on the list um matt straker matt's gonna do an interview with us um he's um Hopefully he's been writing and doing some things, but he recorded an album with me in 2018. And since then, he's he's been the rhythm guitar player with Oasis. But he's got projects of his own, White Onion and other things that he's doing that keep, keep him busy. So he's uh, I'm looking forward to meeting him. And also uh, Simon Dawes. Simon's uh, from the Black Hill Pioneers, um, Basildon or Essex-based band who have been around for a while. And he's going to be coming in. We had a little chat um on the via, via messenger and uh, i'm going to bring him in for a, an interview he's got interesting stories to tell about him and his bandmates and some upcoming material so i've got uh, a really really good list which i'm still compiling if anybody fancies it if anybody fancies uh coming to do an interview with me i'm hoping to get an interview with uh, anna reynolds anna's a young songwriter she's looking forward to recording her first album probably towards the end of this year. All the songs are all ready, but um, we'll have a little chat about her and what the songs are about. Um, I've also got in the pipeline uh, Phil Philip New. And Phil is a a writer of um, kind of West End style songs. And he's been looking to get that music and, and to maybe work on writing some writing a musical or working towards something like that so phil's got an exciting story to tell about how he creates his songs where they come from um so that should be pretty good and um yeah there are a couple of others that i've got written down that i'm hoping to to bring in um i won't uh, no names yet until i've actually confirmed it but there's a lot to look forward to 
here on Grassroots. Thank you for your company. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for being you. Thanks for being my mate. I will see you next Friday, same as always. Don't forget to go to www.innovationstudios.com. Drop us an email or ask me anything or book some lessons. If you want some lessons online, ask my advice. Do whatever you want. I'm just trying to get myself out there and trying to promote this this beautiful studio that, I, that I've invested so much time in. And I can't wait to meet some of you lovely people and um, do some recording with you and do some writing with you. Um, it's all going to be great. So, look, I'm signing off. I've, I've rabbited on for far too long now. I'm out of here. Thank you for listening. God bless you all. Stay safe, stay sane, stay healthy. See you next Friday. Yours in music. Bye-bye now.